All right, guys, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers will get that to you. If you need a pen, hold up a couple fingers. They'll get that to you as well. If you need anything else, good luck. I don't know what to tell you. But, uh, guys, we are knee-deep in this series where we have been talking about piercing the darkness with the light of Jesus. And uh, part of what we have been talking about, unfortunately, is the mess that the church as a whole finds itself in, especially here in America, but across the world, too, in regards to accomplishing this very thing. We've been failing miserably, in my opinion. Uh, We've taken the Great Commission, and we have dumbed it down to a certain few activities, and then we like to tell ourselves that we're fulfilling the Great Commission. And in all reality, we are not. Uh, We have come up with our own plan, uh, and we've abandoned the plan that Jesus gave us years ago, uh, which, by the way, happens to be an amazing, brilliant plan, but we veered away from his, and we've just done it our way. And last week, we spent some time looking at how instead of making disciples like Jesus tells us to do, we have been focusing on making converts. And we took some time to look at the consequences of that choice. Uh, Because we we see the church is full of people who have their supposed ticket to heaven for when they die, but there's little to no transformation happening in their lives, you know, whatsoever. The inner life often has not been changed. And we talked about how that because of that, we've resorted to faking our Christian lives to be able to fit in and to be able to be considered spiritually mature. And and churches, unfortunately, are filled with these kind of people, people who are faking their Christian lives. We work hard at putting on a good exterior, and our interior is a mess. And last week, we talked about how that is a performance-based spirituality. And by the way, people, that does not exclude pastors. Pastors are right there in the mix mix of that fakery. Sometimes they are some of the worst of the bunch because they are the pastor. They have to look like they have it all down. If you've taken my discipleship class, you've heard me say that I was literally hired as a pastor here at this church while completely faking it on the outside. My interior life was an utter miserable mess, but I could fake it with the best of them. And I've got to be honest with you, it still is a temptation for me to do that. It comes so naturally for me to put on a good exterior, all the while knowing that I'm still struggling with many things on the inside. And I have to fight myself not to do that. And so I try my best to be real with all of you, to be vulnerable with my church family. Uh, I, I want to let you know that I'm far from perfect, that I have not arrived, not in the least. I'm on this journey with you, at your side, following Jesus, trying to navigate through the the mess of what classical evangelical Christianity has taught us versus what Jesus has taught us. And I'm training right along with you to become a person who looks like Jesus, thinks like Jesus, and acts like Jesus. But I have a long way to go. And I just want to say how thankful I am for your patience and your love for when I make my mistakes and I have my failures you guys, I know you get tired of hearing this, but you guys are some of the most loving people on this earth, and I'm, I'm so blessed to just do life with you. But today we're going to be talking about what is the gospel of Jesus. What's the gospel Jesus preached? And I'm going to warn you, this is not a 30-minute sermon, and then we're done. I tried. It's not possible. So this is actually going to be a two-part sermon. Um, it's going to take us two weeks to get through this. Hopefully we can get it in two weeks. Uh, However, here's the bad part. I will be gone for the next two Sundays. So it's actually going to take us three weeks or four weeks to get through it. And I'm sorry it worked out this way, but that's just the way it is. And I'm going to say this like I did last week. Uh, Today's sermon is not, you know, full of all little fun little stories or funny little jokes. 
uh, to keep you engaged. Um, I've got a lot of information that I'm going to be giving you. I need you to lean in. I need you to be engaged with me today. Uh, I know it's warm in here, so try not to fall asleep. If you see somebody sleeping next to you, you have my permission to give them a little jab and just say, Jesus loves you, and, uh, you know, call it a day. But we need to hear this. All of us need to hear this because what I'm going to talk about today is incredibly important stuff. Okay? All right. What is the gospel Jesus preached? If we're going to make disciples in the circles of our kingdom, we need to know what is the gospel that we are to be proclaiming to the people around us. Okay? And the obvious choice for that is we need to proclaim the same gospel Jesus did. So what I want for us to do is to learn what Jesus preached. I want us to know it inside and out so that we can proclaim it. We're going to look at, at this, and we're going to see this in the next two weeks, and, and we're going to hopefully be impressed at this incredible gospel Jesus proclaimed while he was here. But today, what we're going to see is what, the gospel, what gospel the church has been proclaiming. Okay, And then we're going to look at the outcome of what that gospel produced in the churches all around us. And we're going to compare then the two, and we're going to see the main differences as to why Jesus' gospel is so much more superior, obviously, okay? And I think it will be eye-opening, um, at least it was for me. So to begin with, however, I think it would be good for us to even understand what the word gospel even means. I know we throw that word around in our Christian circles, and it's part of our Christianese, our little language we have. And so a lot of us have heard the word gospel, but we're like, I don't really know what gospel means. Yeah, I've heard it, but I don't know what it is. So let's talk about that. The word gospel comes from the Hebrew language um, biser, okay? Now biser means a good announcement. When a king had good news to deliver to his subjects and he would send out messengers or heralds and a lot of times they'd blow that shofar and it'd be an announcement they would make. Like for instance, if there was a, a new king that was born or uh, the, you know, there was victory over some invading army or some you know, occupied force, they would proclaim this good announcement, and that's what biser means. Well, the Greek equivalent to that word is euangelion. And you means good, and angelion means announcement. So it means a good announcement. So when we use the word gospel, without knowing it, what we are saying is that we have a good announcement. We often will say, the, you know, the phrase that we need to share the gospel with, with others. And what we're actually basically saying is that we need to share the good announcement with everyone around us, and it's our job to do it, okay? So that's what the word gospel means. It's a good announcement, or it's good news, okay? So in the book of Mark, in some of the last words of Jesus, we see him telling his disciples this. Check this out. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, now, what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to go and tell everyone about this good announcement. This is good news, okay? So the question is then, if Jesus is asking us to preach a gospel, to spread a good announcement to the world, what is that announcement? What is the good news, right? Well, we're going to look at that partly today, but mostly in the next sermon. But before we do, let's take some time to see what the church as a whole has been preaching. Let's see the gospels that have been proclaimed from the pulpits and are being proclaimed right now, even as I speak, across our nations, these gospels are being proclaimed. Kind of crazy to think about. So let's do that first, and then we're going to go back and look at the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, and we'll compare them. Okay, the gospel that the church has proclaimed 
And we're going to see that different sections of Christianity will promote different gospels, which is interesting, but just let me explain. First of all, let's look at the liberal side, okay? Uh, As you know, Christianity has a liberal side and a conservative side, which much like anything else in this world has. Um, But let's take some time to look at the liberal side, the gospel on the left. On the left, we could call the gospel a social gospel, Why? Because it focuses intently on social justice. And and here's what would be announced in this particular gospel. Social gospel is the good news that Jesus wanted everyone to know is, is that of a society in which wrongs would be righted, where wealth would be equal, and where everyone would just get along. And Jesus wanted us to be involved in these kind of things. To the left... A society like this is what the kingdom of God is all about, okay? That's what they believe Jesus was coming to set up. They would say that Jesus was a great teacher. In fact, maybe the greatest teacher to have ever walked this earth. They would say that he was divine, or maybe he wasn't. Leaders and people on the left would disagree on that. Some think Jesus was divine. Some people think he wasn't. But in the end, it doesn't really matter so much to them. What matters to them is his example of goodness. That's the point of Jesus' life, the good that he did. Now, often in the gospel on the left, God tends to be this distant God. He kind of, you know, he's mysterious. He kind of set the world into place, and he stepped back and let humans either maintain it or mess it up. And that's how the liberal side of Christianity would see the gospel, and they would see God. On the liberal side, they don't talk about sin or heaven or hell. They don't often talk about what happens, you know, when you die. Often these things are never even brought up. Many people on that side of Christianity don't even believe in Satan or hell. They don't think either exists. So it never gets talked about. In the end, everyone goes to heaven and things will finally be socially perfect there and it's going to be awesome. So while on this earth, what do they talk about? They talk about getting involved in social issues, helping out in the soup lines, protesting wars, attending political events to help the weak and the unfortunate and and things like that. On the liberal side of Christianity, they will follow the path of wherever the social agenda goes. They're all for gay rights. They're all for racial equality. They're all for adjusting laws and politics in such a way as to help everyone get along. Their idea of discipleship would be all about becoming a social warrior and being engaged in those kind of social issues. Now, I didn't grow up in this side of Christianity. So that type of thinking was not prevalent in my circles of life. It was foreign to me. Um, But I promise you it's out there. A lot of people who call themselves Christians would think like this. Okay, that is the gospel on the left. The gospel on the right, the conservative side, is what we would call the gospel of atonement. And atonement means payment for, okay? So the atonement gospel, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ came to earth as a human to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. In the atonement gospel, hell is talked about. Heaven is talked about. What happens after you die is definitely talked about. It's a huge focus on the conservative side. Also, sin is heavily focused on, especially the forgiveness of it. 
All of these things are a huge focus on the conservative side of Christianity. In other words, every human being has sinned, you've sinned, I've sinned, and the penalty of sin is death. We deserve to die and go to hell for eternity. And God, being a just God, has the right to send us there. He has the right, almost the duty, to make us pay for the wrongs that we have done. We've sinned, therefore we deserve to die. But here's the good news. Here's the the good announcement. Jesus took upon himself our death to satisfy God's wrath and God's demand for punishment, and therefore we are spared. And if you accept or you profess that this idea or theology is true, when you die, you will not go to hell, but you will be spared and you'll get to go to heaven. And like I said last week, the trusting part or the believing part is not necessarily trusting or believing in Jesus, but rather believing in something Jesus did. You believe in a certain theology, particularly his death on the cross, which atoned for your sins. That grants you access to heaven. Now, when you boil down the gospel on the right, that is exactly what it is. If you don't believe me, let me show you a gospel tract that you can buy in large quantities to pass out. You can get this from christianbooks.com. And this is just one of many tracts that teach the same idea. Here it is. Get your ticket to heaven. Now, here's the description as you to look at the, when you decide what tracts you want to buy. It says, the offer of a ticket to heaven might seem too easy to be true, but this little tract gets right to the heart of the matter. Offering the ticket but explaining the price involved, the text moves quickly into the reality of sin and Christ's atonement and acceptance of that sacrifice. Do you hear that? The acceptance of that sacrifice. If I accept that Jesus died on the cross, I get my ticket to heaven. And at the end of the track, I mentioned last week, there is a prayer to pray. Praying that prayer is sealing the deal. Often on the right, getting people to pray that prayer is the transaction needed to get them saved. That's the finish line for sharing the gospel with them. We want them to pray out loud if possible. Just follow me as I pray. Just say the words that I say. I'll lead you. We want them to confess this out loud. And the verse often we use to prove this is in Romans 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, I'll come back to this verse in the next sermon, but suffice it to say, we use this verse as a proof text that we need to get them to pray the prayer. And if they do, they are saved. We completely miss the whole context of this verse, but nevertheless, it is still our proof text. We want them to believe in their heart, and we want them to confess it out loud. If they do, they're saved. They have their ticket. This is the gospel on the right, the gospel of atonement. And many people who call themselves Christians think like this. That's the gospel on the right. So here we have it, gospel on the left and the gospel on the right. And while both of these gospels are pretty different from each other, both have a theology of salvation, uh, what salvation means and what it entails. They both have a theology of who Jesus was, his identity. And while both gospels lead to a form of Christianity, listen to me here, I need you to hear this. 
neither of them requires or trains for living a righteous life. Neither gospel requires living a life of holiness. Neither gospel promote any sort of concept of real transformation and character. And neither, this is important, listen to me here, neither tend to produce disciples of Jesus or apprentices of Jesus. Now, each gospel does produce a certain kind of life. It does do that. In other words, like we have said before, when you believe something, you will live out as if it's true. So for the person on the left, if they believe the social gospel, it will produce in them a desire to fight for social justice. A good life for them is a life of pouring themselves into fighting for the weak and the powerless and changing laws and social cultures to make life better for everyone. That's the kind of life it will produce. If you do that, you've lived a good life. God is happy with you. You may not be righteous. You may not be holy. You may have terrible character, but that stuff doesn't really matter. Social justice matters. That's what Jesus was all about. Now, as I said, I didn't grow up around the liberal side of Christianity, but I did grow up around the conservative side. So the gospel of atonement was huge in my circles. And here's what I noticed with that gospel. Here's how I saw it play out in, in people's lives. See if this resonates with you. In the gospel of atonement, once you heard the gospel and you believed it, you believed that Jesus died on the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sins, your eternal location was secured. You're going to heaven when you die. Sweet daddy, that's awesome. But unfortunately, you still have the rest of your life to live here. And so the rest of your life, you kind of just live on your own. The crazy thing is, is that, you know, these people, they put their faith and trust in God to get them to heaven, but they can't trust God for their next sandwich. Doing life with God in the everyday, they're not ready for that. They, they say, yeah, I believe God, you're going to be, I'm going to be with you in heaven, but they get, it's hard for them to fathom that God is with them now. You basically, so what you do is you basically just live your life on your own. Now, you're told when you go to your little Bible studies in your churches that you, have to, you should live righteously, but you're never shown how. And honestly, you are often told, I was told this often, you couldn't live righteously even if you wanted to. Why? Because you are a worthless sinner. Saved by grace, but you're still a worthless sinner. Your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So you kind of go, oh. I guess I gotta wait to heaven. Gotta wait till death to finally be free of sin. And here was, here's what's crazy. Like I said last week, you may or may not think of being a disciple of Jesus. You may or may not think of obeying him. Or you may or may not think of, of devoting yourself to the kingdom of God. What's crazy with those things is that they might not even cross your mind. And why? Because that's not the focus. The focus is going to heaven when you die. The focus is getting saved. Getting saved is getting your ticket to heaven. Now, certainly you can do any and all of these things. You could choose to be a disciple. You could choose to obey Jesus. You could choose to devote yourself to the kingdom of God. But those things are all optional for you. They're all optional. You don't have to do them. 
You don't have to do them because Jesus forgave all your sins, even the ones you're going to commit. And you're going to heaven when you die anyways, whether you become a disciple or not, whether you obey God or not, whether you devote yourself to the kingdom of God or not. You are going to heaven regardless. So if it floats your boat or not, whatever, you can be a disciple of Jesus or not. Whatever, you're good. That is really the culture that exists in the atonement gospel side of Christianity. If you don't believe me, look around in our churches across this nation and you'll see that what I'm saying is true. I grew up going to churches with that kind of thinking. Do you know that there's a statistic out there done by George Barna? And I don't know if I have the number quite right, but it's very close to this number. This statistic says that 64% of Americans believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin, and they believe they're going to heaven when they die. 64%. Let me ask you guys a question. Are you telling me that 64% of Americans are followers of Jesus Christ? No way. America would look way different than it does if 64% of Americans were followers of Jesus. I've met with people who have children who live in the world and live like the world and are part of the world. They live incredibly wicked lives. Their lives have never shown any desire to follow Jesus. They're dead set against God. And yet their child prayed the salvation prayer when they were five years old in VBS or at their bedside or wherever. And so therefore those parents believe that their children are saved. They're, they're going to heaven when they die. Their children have their ticket. So while their lives are completely set against God and reject God, at least they're going to heaven. The gospel of atonement endorses that kind of thinking. I want to emphasize this. In the atonement gospel side of Christianity, discipleship, holiness, and power are not a natural part of the gospel. They are optional. Because you have forgiveness of sins, you get to go to heaven when you die. You are good to go. You have your ticket. You have your fire insurance. Anything more than that is simply optional. So many just go through their life on their own, just getting by. I want to say everything I share about this gospel of atonement, I have walked it. I have experienced it. I know it inside and out. As a youth pastor to many young and women, I promoted this kind of gospel. It makes me sick to think about how many kids I preached this to. I led so many kids through that prayer. I sealed the deal with them. Hundreds. Some became followers of Jesus. Many did not. Many, many did not. But unfortunately, I made them think that as long as they prayed that prayer and believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, they were good to go. They had their ticket. Talk about an empty promise. Makes me sick to think about. I bought into this line of thinking, hook, line, and sinker. But I want to say, for the record, that I categorically disagree with it. I believe it is a false gospel, or at least I should say a half gospel. And in my opinion, a half gospel is a false gospel because it's missing the whole picture. It's not the gospel Jesus proclaimed. You want to know where I began thinking, changing my thinking on this? I'll tell you. 
I was driving with my then nine, ten-year-old daughter, Alex, and I remember exactly where we were on the road. It was that telling of a moment in my life. But I was telling my daughter about Jesus and how he died on the cross for her. And I had told her all this before, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, she understood the gospel and that she was saved. So, so I was talking to her about it again. And I was telling her that if she believed in, that Jesus' you know, death on the cross, her sins would be forgiven and, and she'd go to heaven when she died. And I, I was trying to get my daughter to come to the point of praying the prayer with me. I love my daughter and I, I want to be in heaven with her and so I wanted to get her there. So of course I'm sharing this good news with her. So my daughter says this, she says, so dad, if I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, I get to go to heaven when I die? And I says, yes, honey, it's true. So she then asked me, she says, well, what do I have to do after the prayer? And I was like, you don't have to do anything. You, you, you aren't earning this, sweetheart. Jesus did it for you. But I mean, you're gonna, still, you're gonna wanna follow Jesus and obey him as best as you can, but you don't have to. She then asked me, well, what if I don't want to? What if I don't want to obey him and I completely just do whatever I want? Am I still going to heaven when I die? And I said, well, yes, honey. I mean, if you really believe that Jesus died for you, you'll go to heaven when you die. I mean, yeah, I guess even if you don't follow Jesus. Alex then said, even if I don't follow Jesus or obey Jesus, I will go to heaven when I die? I said, yes, even if I become a murderer and kill a bunch of people and do all sorts of bad things and reject God, I will still go to heaven? I'm like, yes. I mean, you're not gonna wanna do those things, but yes, you will. But what if I wanna do those things? What if I wanna murder someone and do horrible stuff and live a life of sin? What if I want to? If I believe Jesus died on the cross for those sins and I prayed the prayer, will I still go to heaven? And at this point, I'm thinking I have a future murderer sitting in my truck. I'm like, what the heck? And I said, listen to me, Alex. If you pray this prayer and you really believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you will go to heaven when you die. It doesn't matter what you do with your life. What matters is that you believe Jesus died for you. That's what saves you and allows you to go to heaven. It's a work of Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. Why is that so hard to get through your head? And my daughter turned to me, and like I said, I still remember this to this day, where we were on the road, and she said, Dad, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that makes no sense at all. At that point, I got pretty ticked with her, and I says, well, I don't really care what you think, Alex. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's the way it is, so deal with it. But I have to be honest with you, it shook me. The questions she asked me, they rattled me, because I didn't have good answers for them. And honestly, I had thought about these questions before in my life. In fact, I'll bet every single one of you have. But you know how it is, you, you just basically blow them off because someone smarter than you told you this is how it is, so you just believe it, and you don't question it because I guess this is just the way it is. But when my daughter confronted me with these questions, it made me think, yeah, something doesn't seem right. Am I sure this is what the Bible teaches? Am I sure this is the gospel that Jesus preached? And I have to say that that began a journey in my life of seeking out the answers to the questions my daughter proposed to me. And in doing so, it exposed 
how wrong I truly was and that for most of my life I have been promoting a faulty half gospel that Jesus never preached or presented. The gospel I was presenting wasn't even true and therefore it wasn't good news at all. And I began to realize that Jesus presented a very different gospel than what the church had taught me growing up. Now, I realized that as I preach this sermon, I may be upsetting some people. I may be making some people very angry because it's challenging your belief system. I get it. I know how you feel. It's not fun to be there. And I don't blame you for being angry. I don't blame you for being upset because here's the deal. This is what you have been taught. Pastors have taught you this. Good Christian leaders have taught you this. And I lay the blame of this on pastors because it is our job to teach the word of God. And if we aren't preaching what Jesus preached, shame on us. Think of the damage that we have caused. It scares me to think of what I'm accountable for all those years of being a youth pastor and teaching those kids what I did. So I understand the frustration that you must feel. But if I could just encourage you with this, don't let it keep you from pursuing what is true. We must know the truth. Because as Jesus said, it is the truth that will set us free. Amen? And truth, it isn't a thing. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. So we had better stick close to Jesus. Amen? Let me show you the gospel Jesus preached and presented. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus comes to earth and he began to proclaim good news that God had for all of mankind. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds the night of his birth? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for what? All the people. God sent his son to earth to proclaim good news to all the people, every nation, every people group. This is for everybody. And when Jesus began his ministry, Scripture tells us that he went around and preached the gospel. Now, when we read that, it should cause our ears to perk up and go, what, the gospel? Jesus is preaching the gospel. I want to know what this is. So it's important we know what that gospel was. Let me show you. In Luke chapter 4, it says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from, from leaving them. He had been performing healing and all this sort of stuff, and they're like, stay around, stay as long as you can. And he said this, he says, no, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Tell me, third service, what was the good news Jesus proclaimed according to this verse? The good news of the kingdom of God. Now I want you to remember that. The gospel or the good announcement or the good news that God sent Jesus to proclaim to all people was the gospel of the kingdom of God. There's another verse in Mark that tells us this. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
After Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and, and, and anointed by the Spirit, he begins his ministry of preaching the gospel, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, that it was at hand and, and it was available to all who were ready to receive it. That was the good news. That was the gospel Jesus presented. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even hear about the kingdom of God growing up. I didn't even know what it was. And as I began to seek out the truth of what the gospel truly is, I suddenly saw Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And I was like, what? This is the gospel Jesus was preaching? I've never heard of this before. And let me just add this as well. Here's what I did not find in scriptures. Nowhere did I see Jesus walking around telling everyone, hey guys, I'm gonna die in, in a couple months here. And what I need you to do is I need you guys to believe that I died to pay the penalty for your sin. If you believe that, you'll go to heaven when you die. I looked everywhere in scripture and I never saw Jesus teaching that anywhere. What I saw Jesus proclaiming was the good news of the kingdom of God. So what in the world is this good news of the kingdom of God? What was Jesus' gospel? That fascinated me. And I wanted to know what it was. Because I sure wasn't proclaiming it. At all. And so that's the gospel that we have to unpack here as a church family. In three weeks. I'm sorry. I truly am. We're already over our time frame. But here's what I would suggest in the time frame while we wait. I want you to read the book of Matthew. I want you to read the book of Mark. I want you to read especially the book of Luke. And read the book of John. Study those books. Listen to what Jesus is teaching. Listen to as he proclaims about this gospel. See for yourself what I'm saying. And see what the spirit of God shows you. He may just change your whole paradigm. Which is scary but it's also very awesome because ultimately we want the truth. Amen, Whitestone? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus' words because we know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And God, we, many of us, we have grown up and we've been taught a completely different thing. And God, if there is anyone here today in this room or watching live stream who is angry, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would comfort them, you'd minister to them. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us a desire for what is true and that you would lead us to the truth because that's what you do. God, when we become disciples of Jesus who become more and more like Jesus, to the point where we look like you and we are able to fully image the God who we were made in the image of. That's what we so desire. And we wanna follow Jesus in doing that because he did it perfectly. So God, I commit every person into your hands. May they encounter you today and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys, love you very, very much.